Good morning, church. I'm going to start with a story that I told in my very first sermon at VRBC 16 years ago. A few of you were in the room, but you're probably as old as me and you can't remember it anyway, so we're going to repeat it, all right? Uh, so a couple years before I told that story, I had just taken up the hobby of running. I was never a runner before, but I'd gone out a few times, really enjoyed it. And I, I, I wanted to get more into it, and so I thought, if I'm going to be a runner, I need to look the part. And uh, I had running shoes, but that was it, and I thought, I need some running shorts. So I went to uh, a store down in Las Colinas that specialized in running. I don't know if you've been to one of these stores. If you're not a runner, it's kind of intimidating, right? There's dry fit as far as the eye can see. There are all these employees that look like they could run a four-minute mile in dress shoes and laugh at you as they're going by, you know. And, And I don't know why, but as I was looking for shorts, I didn't want anybody to know that I had no idea what I was doing. You ever felt that? I don't know why I wanted to look like a veteran runner, but I, I, I did want to, and this employee came over, one of those marathon running employees, and she said, uh, can I help you find something? And, I, and I'm, God's honest truth, I wanted so badly to say, you know, I'm kind of a, a big runner, I know exactly what I'm doing here. I really wanted to, but somehow I overcame my outsized male ego and said, yeah, I, you know, I want, I want to start running and I want to get some shorts, and can you help me? And uh, she said the line that I will remember for the rest of my life. She smiled and she said, sure. Can I show you over here to the men's section? (laughs) Why are we so hesitant to ask for help even when we know we need it? Even when everybody around us knows that we have no idea what we're doing, why are we so hesitant to ask for help? This morning... We're continuing our series on prayer. It's called Hidden Riches, as you can see. The idea behind this logo is that in the early 1900s, the the Texans were walking around in physical poverty, unaware of the hidden riches that were beneath their feet in the form of all this oil. And as followers of Jesus, so often we do the same thing in a spiritual sense. We walk around in spiritual poverty, neglecting the hidden riches of God's presence that's right there with us and available to us through prayer. Last week, we talked about Jesus' beautiful prayer of submission in the garden, not my will, but yours be done. And Pastor Joanne talked about how really that was like the first half of the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this week, we're talking about the kind of prayer that Jesus teaches in the second half, where he teaches us to ask for what we need. If you remember the prayer, it says, give us this day our daily bread. Teaches us to pray for daily bread, for forgiveness, for guidance, and for protection. So here's the question I want to pose to the followers of Jesus in the room this morning. And by the way, if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, thank you so much for being here. I'm so glad you're here, and I hope you'll listen as well, because I think what we're going to talk about this morning will be a great help to you as you try to get to know God better. But the question for those of us who are following Jesus is, if we truly believe that God's presence and power are like hidden riches that we can access whenever we want to, if we really truly believe that God is the source of all of these good gifts and all we have to do is ask God in prayer, why don't we do it more often? Why don't we do it more often? I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm afraid that if I'm honest, prayer in my life is closer to a last resort than a first instinct. I want to grow in prayer, but, but sometimes there's, there's not the motivation. Why is that? Well, I've given that a lot of thought over the last couple of weeks, and there, there are many reasons. Sometimes we're like 
I was in the running store, and we don't recognize that we need help, and so we don't ask. But I think there are deeper reasons as well. I think sometimes the mystery surrounding prayer can cause us to shrink back a little bit. Sometimes I think the many questions we have about how our prayer works uh, can, can kind of hamper our motivation. If you were in Grow Groups a couple of weeks ago, you know that we asked, hey, share with us some of the questions that you have about prayer, some of the things that make it difficult to pray. And we heard amazing, amazing, thoughtful, deep questions. We don't have time to go over all of them today, but I'll share just uh, a few of them and some of mine uh, as well. One set of questions uh, surrounded uh, if God is listening to us and if he's willing to help. So we, we, we said, when I pray, is God really listening? With everything else going on in the world, is God really paying attention to my prayers? And does he really, really want to make a change in my life? See if you've asked uh, this second one. Do my prayers really make a difference in what happens in the world? Do they actually change events? Do they actually change God's mind? Or do they just change me or some combination? If God already knows what he's going to do, then what's the point in me praying? Or what about this one? What if I pray and the answer is no? What if I pray and the answer is no? I've prayed for things before in the past, John, and God hasn't answered my prayer in the way that I asked it. If I pray, aren't I just setting myself up for more doubt and disappointment? These are good and hard questions. And just saying them out loud, I'm kind of scared to preach the sermon, honestly, because those are deep questions. And I'll tell you from the outset, we're not going to be able to completely answer all of the mystery of prayer in one message. But I do think today's passage has something to say in this topic. Jesus knew that his followers were going to have a little bit of trouble sometimes asking for what they needed. And so he didn't just teach us how to pray. In Luke 11, which is our passage for today, you can pull that out if you want to, uh, at the beginning of the chapter, he gives them the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer. But right after he teaches them what to pray, he spends nine verses telling them why they should do it. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So I'm going to read from Luke 11, beginning with verse 5. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't give up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not give up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks you for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more Will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. All right, so here's the question we're looking at this morning. Why should we ask God for what we need? With all these questions that we have about prayer, what is it that should motivate us to bring our needs to God? And of course, the first reason, the most obvious reason, is because Jesus taught us to do so. He told us 
to do so. If you're a parent, you know this reason well. When your kid keeps asking you, why, why, why do I have to do the things you're telling me to? What's the ultimate answer after you're tired of explaining? Say it with me. Because I said so, right? So Jesus could say to us, do it because I said so. And that would be good enough for us. But like a good parent, Jesus also knows that if we understand what's behind the command, it will make it easier for us to follow through on it. So he spends the next part of the passage telling us not just what to do, but why to do it. And the way he tells us why to do it is by telling some stories. Jesus did this uh, so often. In fact, this spring we're going to be going over a series all about Jesus' parables. I'm super excited about that. But in this passage, he, he tells two stories that are really two versions of the same story. The first story is about a guy who needs bread. And the reason he needs bread is that a friend of his has shown up at his house at midnight and he doesn't have any food in the house. Now, you have to understand the cultural background in order to really grasp the meaning of this story. In this culture at that time, hospitality was a huge deal. It was one of the highest values possible. And if you think about it, it makes sense because there were no holiday inns on the side of the road uh, to pull over if you uh, needed a place to stay. There were no all-night waffle houses uh, to get uh, a meal at 3 a.m. And so people had to rely on the hospitality of friends and, and strangers. And because of that need, hospitality was a, a, a huge value. And not just a value, really, it was a moral obligation for people. So when this friend showed up at this man's house, uh, this guy was morally obligated, not just to give him a bed for the night, but to prepare a meal for him. But as I said, there was a problem. He, his pantry was in, empty. He had no food. So he did what anybody would have done in this situation. Even though it was midnight, even though he knew he was going to have to wake up his neighbor, he went to his neighbor and asked for help because he knew that if his neighbor was in the same situation, he would have done the exact same thing for him. Now we'll talk about the neighbor's interesting response in a minute, but first let's focus in on this request because I think it's a, a beautiful picture of the process that Jesus invites us to go through. Three steps. Number one, the man recognized his need. He knew that he needed bread and he didn't have it. Number two, he went to someone who had what he needed. It was his neighbor. And number three, he asked for help. He recognized his need. He went to someone who had what he needed and he asked for help. And from a much larger perspective, this is exactly what Jesus invites you and me to do. Friends, we are in desperate need. Whether we recognize it or not, we are in desperate need need. And Jesus invites us to, to recognize that need, that need for forgiveness, for hope, for peace, for intimate relationship with God, for guidance. And he says, go to the one who has those things. Go to the one who has those things and ask for help. Jesus invites us to ask God for what we need. That's the what. But as I mentioned, we're really focusing on the why. And to get to the why, we have to keep reading and look at the response. You remember the first question I asked about prayer? The first question is, when I pray, is God really listening? So much going on in the world. Is he really concerned with my needs? Is he, is he willing to help? And in response to that question, Jesus says, absolutely. Absolutely. The first reason that we can come to God and ask for what we need is because God is eager to help. God is eager to help us. He's not too busy with the wars in Gaza and Israel and Ukraine and Russia to listen to your prayers. God is not hearing your prayer and saying, hey, good luck with all of that. No, he is eager to give. 
Now, I admit, when you look at the response of the neighbor, it's a little confusing at first, but I want to press into that awkward, and we're going to see that Jesus is actually telling us God is eager to give. But let's look at the response of, of the neighbor in Luke 11, verse 7. Suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't give up, get up and give you anything. Now, I know what you're thinking. You just said, John, God is eager to give. This does not look like my definition of eager. Well, keep reading. Verse 8. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you what you need. Now, let's be honest here. We can be honest in church, can't we? This is a little bit better, but not a lot. It's a little bit better because the guy actually gets up and gives uh, what he needs. So he gets what he needs. But man, he's cranky about it, isn't it? He's, cr he's cranky. He doesn't want to get up. And if this is what God is like, this is not a pretty picture. If this is what God is like, he's not motivated by friendship with us. He's not motivated by love for us. The only way we can get him to bless us is just by knocking so loudly and so long and making such a commotion that he has no choice but to help us. If this is what God is like, then prayer is nothing more than a jackhammer where we try to just hit God over and over and over with our prayers and hopefully wear him down and convince him to give us something that he didn't want to give us in the first place. Parents, you know what this is like. You're in the grocery store and your kid says, Mom, can I have candy? 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 And eventually you're like, fine, we'll have the candy. Just be quiet. Is that the picture that you have of God? Is there any small part of you that feels like you have to just take blessings, convince God to give you blessings against his will? If that's you, friend, I want to tell you some really, really good news. And the good news is this. God is not like that at all. God is not like that at all. And here's the secret to understanding this part of the passage. Don't miss this. Jesus is not saying that God is like the sleepy neighbor. Jesus is saying God is not like the sleepy neighbor. God is not like the sleepy neighbor. He's not saying that God can't be bothered with your little problems unless you twist his arm long enough. No, he's saying that God is eager to help. Now, uh, you have to know uh, something about the text and the way that these, these writings were, were developed to understand this. And there's a, there's a literary technique called lesser to greater. Some of you may have heard of it. And I, others, when I say the word liter literary technique, you're like PTSD, you know, English class, simile, metaphor, onomatopoeia. That was my favorite one. I don't know what it is, but I like to say it. Uh, so just hang with me for a minute. I promise we won't be too long in English class. But the way lesser to greater works is that, and this was common in scripture, very common, the writer would use something small that everybody agreed on to prove something larger that he was trying to make the point. So for example, modern day example, let's say we all go down to Globe Life Field in Arlington and I'm in the batter's box with one of those super heavy wooden bats. If I could hit the ball maybe like just past the infield, think how far Adolis Garcia, El Bombi, could hit the ball. See how that works? It's lesser to greater, lesser to greater. Okay, so here's, here's what Jesus is doing using this technique. What he's saying is this neighbor that I'm describing is a selfish guy who's clearly not a good friend. But even he will get up if you come boldly in the middle of the night and ask for help. Even he will get up and help you. And if even he, this guy who, who doesn't even care about 
friendship, if he would help you, how much more, how much more will your good and loving father give you what you need whenever you ask? Friend, when you pray, remember who you're praying to. You're not praying to a sleepy neighbor who can't be bothered to get up. You're not praying to someone that you have to twist their arm into convincing them to give you what you need. When you pray, you're praying to your good and loving Father, the one who formed you, who knit you together in your mother's womb, the one who knows every day of your life, who knows the number of hairs on your head, the one who sent his son Jesus to redeem you, to restore you. That's who you're praying to. He is eager to give. Well, that's the first reason we should ask God for what we need, but we still have questions, and the questions throughout the sermon get harder. The second question was a real doozy, and it is, do my prayers really matter? Do they really make a difference? Do they really change things? I mean, after all, if God already knows what he's going to do, what's the point of praying? Now, first of all, I want to acknowledge that there is a tremendous amount of mystery here, and prayer is mysterious. Uh, Isaiah says that God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts, his ways are higher than our ways, and we cannot expect to fully comprehend the mystery of who God is uh, in a simple, uh, catchy phrase. You know, prayer can't be reduced to a simplistic definition. There is mystery here. But this text does tell us some really important things about prayer, and if I can take just a slight departure for a moment, Something that's important to know about Scripture is that the Bible doesn't always tell us everything we want to know, but it always tells us everything we need to know. The Bible doesn't always tell us everything we want to know to satisfy our curiosity, but it always gives us everything we need to know to fulfill our responsibility, to fulfill the calling that God has placed on our life, and we can trust Him. And this text doesn't answer every question about the mystery of how a prayer works but it does give us important, important information that gives us something enough to go on in prayer. And here's the truth that this passage tells us. Asking and receiving are connected. In some way that with our finite human minds we can't fully understand, in God's kingdom, the way he has designed the world, asking and receiving are connected. In some mysterious way that's beyond our comprehension, God works through our prayers, through our prayers to accomplish his will. Look at verses 9 and 10. After the first story, Jesus says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now these verses do not uh, completely wrap up with a neat little bow the mystery of divine sovereignty and human free will. But they do paint a beautiful picture of the partnership that God invites us into. The Christian life, on the one hand, is not laying on the couch and waiting for God to fix everything with no action required on our part. But on the other hand, the Christian life is not us by our own action fixing everything ourselves. Instead, the Christian life is a partnership Uh, that God invites us into. God gives us the privilege of actively participating in what he is already doing in the world. And one of the main ways that he invites us to participate is through prayer. Did you notice the, the partnership in these verses? Look at this. Ask, that's our part, and it will be given to you. That's God's part. Uh, knock, that's our part, and the door 
will be open to you. That's God's part. And you might think the middle one is a little bit different. It sounds different at first. Seek, that's our part, and you will find. That sounds like it's our part, but even the fact that there's something to find implies God's part. You see that partnership there? When we pray, we partner with God in what he's already doing in the world. A couple weeks ago, Amy mentioned a, a book called Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. It's a beautiful book on prayer. If you haven't picked it up, I, I would encourage you to do so. And I like what author Tyler Statton says about this topic. He says, the assumption of biblical prayer is that God's action always precedes my request. The aim is not to get God in on what I think he should be doing. Rather, the aim of prayer is to get us in on what God is doing, become aware of it, join it, and enjoy the full fruit of participation. God wants to give us good gifts. And friends, he's already doing so many amazing things in the world. He's doing so many amazing things in and through this church. But he won't force himself on us. He won't force his good gifts on us. He gives us free will and he waits for us to ask. Joanna and I have two kids in college. And if you know anything about kids in college, every now and then they struggle in a class. Our kids are no exception. And so whenever our kids come to us and they say, hey, I'm really struggling in this class, what advice can you give me? Our first piece of advice is always the same thing. Anybody guess what our first piece of advice is? Go talk to the professor. Exactly. Go talk to the professor. Why? Why do we say that? We say that because the vast majority of the time, the professor wants the student to succeed. The vast majority of the time, the professor wants to help. But listen, no professor is going to chase a student down after class and say, young man, you're struggling in my class. Sit down. I'm going to help you right now whether you want it or not. No, the professor has too much respect for the agency of the student to do that. But if the student comes to ask for help, it opens the door for the professor to give the help that the student so desperately needs. And in much the same way, our relationship with God functions this same way. Now, there are certainly exceptions to this. Certainly, God blesses us so many times when we haven't asked for it. Praise God for that. But when it comes to the most important stuff, when it comes to things like forgiveness, when it comes to things like the presence of the Holy Spirit, when it comes to things like peace and hope, God will not force those things on us. But when we ask, he's eager to answer. He's eager to give us more than we could have ever imagined. And so when we're in need, what do we do? We ask. And before we move on to the next point, just really quickly, something interesting about the, the verbs in that section, ask, seek, knock. Uh, the, the original Greek is written in a tense that implies both present and continuing action. So a more literal translation would be ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. And that's what God invites us to do, to, to, to know that in some mysterious way that asking and receiving are connected. And so keep on praying, keep on asking, keep on knocking, believing that God is working in and through our prayers to accomplish his good and perfect will. All right, so I said there were three questions, and the third may be the most difficult of all. What if the answer is no? What if I ask and Jesus says no? I mean, God, John, I, I, to be honest, I've, I've prayed for lots of things that God hasn't answered. What if I'm just setting myself up for disappointment or for doubt 
Maybe it's better not to pray. Well, I want to tread very carefully here because this is holy ground and there's a lot of mystery in this. I know that sometimes we pray for things we think we want and then later we realize that we didn't really want what we thought we wanted. Remember that old country song, some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers? Remember that? Who sings that? I can't remember. Is that Garth Brooks? Okay. Love that song. Sometimes that's the case. But listen, if you've lived very long, you know there are other times too. There are other times when you pray for something that's not misguided, something that's good. And in the mystery of God's will, you don't receive what you've asked for. You've prayed for a loved one to recover, and they didn't. You've prayed for someone you care about to turn from their sin and to receive Jesus, and they haven't. You prayed for God to restore and to heal your marriage, and instead, you got divorced. Friends, I don't want to minimize in any way the pain of unanswered prayer. I have felt it. I know you have felt it. It would be dishonest of me to try to gloss over that. But it's also not the end of the story. This passage teaches us that there is good news in the midst of it. There's another reason that we can trust God and come to him with what we need. And the answer is that God will give us what we need. God will not always give us what we ask. You know that if you were here last week, right? Jesus prayed, uh, take this cup from me. And, And God said, no, God will not always give us what we ask for, but he will always give us ultimately what we need. He is always faithful, always faithful. Look at the last part of the passage. In verse 11, Jesus tells this second story. He says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, I hope you recognize that phrase, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The story is like a shorter version of the first story. It's that same three-step process we talked about. Recognize the need, go to someone who has what you need and ask. That's what the child does. The child recognizes their need, they're hungry. They go to someone who has what they need, their parent who has food, and they ask for help. And just like in the first story, Jesus is using that same lesser to greater technique. The way it works in this uh, story is he says, look, even you sinful earthly fathers would never dream of giving your kid a scorpion when they ask for a snack. You'd never give your child something that would ultimately harm them. And if that's true of you, how much more true could it be of your heavenly father? Do you really think that God is going to give you something harmful, Jesus says? No, he loves you. He wants the best for you. Just as the prophet Jeremiah says, God's plans for us are to prosper us, not to harm us. So when we're in need, friends, we can always trust God even when we don't understand what he's doing. A child doesn't always understand why their parent makes the decisions they make, but the parent always has the best interest of the child at heart. And the same is true for God. He is always working all things together for his glory and for our good. We can live in peace knowing that when we pray, when we bring our needs to God, he may not always give us what we ask for, but he'll always give us what we need. Now, right at the end of the passage, there is an unexpected surprise. The way God gives us what we need is not what you would expect. Look at the last part of the phrase. If you, though you're evil, back one, yeah, if you, though you're evil, know how to give gifts to your children, 
how much more will your Father in heaven give you exactly what you ask for? Is that what it says? No, how much more will your Father in heaven give you always good and beautiful circumstances just the way you would pick? No. What does he say? How much more will your Father in heaven give what? The Holy Spirit. And friends, this is the heart of the passage. What Jesus is saying is that what we truly need the most, more than any adjusted circumstance, whether we recognize it or not, is him. The Holy Spirit, the presence of Almighty God actually living in us, reminding us of what Jesus said, convicting us of sin, comforting us, indwelling us, empowering us to live the life that Jesus invites us into. This is what we need so desperately, friends, the Holy Spirit in our lives. This makes me think of the Apostle Paul. Paul prayed a lot in the New Testament, and so many times God responded through working in miraculous ways to change circumstances. But the one I'm thinking of is not one of those. The one I'm thinking of is when Paul wrote in a letter to the church at Corinth about a struggle he had. He called it a thorn in his flesh. He doesn't tell us uh, what it is. doesn't tell us what kind of physical or emotional uh, malady he's dealing with or circumstantial malady. But it must be a big deal because the way he describes it is, is so passionate. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. Man, that's a, that's a passionate way of saying it. Can't you just hear it, the emotion in his voice? He's saying, God, I'm trying to serve you. I'm trying my best. And this, this thorn, it hurts. I don't like it. Please, please take it away. And God didn't. But he gave him something even better. Do you remember God's response to Paul's prayer? He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough for you. God did not give Paul what he asked for, but he absolutely gave him what he needed. He gave him his very self. He didn't fix Paul's circumstances, but he said, in the midst of your circumstances, I am with you, and my grace will sustain you. And friends, I know there are people here today who have a thorn in the flesh, and it hurts. It hurts. And God may work miraculously to change your circumstances. I've seen him do it so many times in the lives of so many of you, just looking out at the faces. I, I see it, and he's done it in my life too. But I also know that in the mystery of his will, sometimes we don't get what we ask for. But I want to tell you that God is with you in the pain right now, today. I love the way Mother Teresa said it. She said, prayer enlarges the heart until it is capable of containing God's gift of himself. That's a beautiful phrase. Until it's capable of containing God's gift of himself. Ask and seek and your heart will grow big enough to receive him and keep him as your own. Prayer is the doorway, friends, to the greatest gift of all, God himself. After the running store employee uh, showed me which shorts I should buy, I, I kind of looked around a little bit more. I liked the ones that she showed me, but to be honest, they were a little expensive for my taste, and so I went over to a clearance rack and uh, found a pair 
um, that I really liked. And I, I bought them and I took them home and man, they were awesome. If you've never worn running shorts, it makes a huge difference. I, I wore them every time I went running for a year and I loved them so much that after a year, I thought I need to get some more. And I was like, well, why reinvent the wheel? I love these. I'm going to get these exact same ones. So I pulled out the shorts and looked on the tag to see what kind they were so I could get more. And it said, Brooks for women. <laughs> even after asking for help, even after the worker showed me which shorts to buy, I still thought I knew better. And for over a year, I ran all over Capel in those things. When I told Joanna, she was not sympathetic at all. She said, I told you those things were too short. <laughs> Listen, I was stubborn and I bought what I thought I wanted instead of what the expert knew I needed. I bought what I thought I wanted instead of what the expert knew I needed. And friend, aren't you so glad that God is the expert? Aren't you so glad... <laughs> We don't have to just get what we think we want at the moment, but God knows what we need, and he is eager to give it to us. He's just waiting for us to ask. So friends, let's repent of our prayerlessness. Let's stop walking around the store like we think what we know what we're doing. Let's recognize our need. Let's drill a well, and let's tap into the hidden riches of God's presence, his spirit. Let's do what Colossians 4 says and devote ourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Let's do what 1 Thessalonians 5 says and pray continually. Let's do what Ephesians 6 says and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with every kind of prayer and request. Let's do what Romans 12 says and be faithful in prayer. Let's do what Luke 18 says and always pray and never give up. Friends, let's do what Hebrews 4 says and boldly approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Church, let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, thank you for this beautiful gift of prayer that you have given to us. God, we don't deserve it, but we thank you for it. And we do confess so many times we're walking around like we know what we're doing, like we don't need help, but you know and we know that we desperately need you. And so we pray that you would invite us deeper into the practice of prayer, the experience of prayer. And as we do, I pray that you would help that beautiful quote from Mother Teresa be more and more true in our lives, that our hearts expand large enough to contain the greatest gift of all, the gift of you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.